The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinist and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. <laughs> the headlines in the paper are filled with the latest idiocy from the President of the United States. Folks, don't blame me. I didn't elect him. I didn't vote for him. I don't believe the guest I have on the show uh, voted for him either. We'll find out. Uh, he says he's not afraid to take a few political questions. Uh, as we do with all bonus shows on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask my distinguished guest, to introduce him or herself. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Uh, Charlie Rosen, born in the Bronx, uh, played at Hunter College, which is now Lehman College, played the old Eastern League, um, was Phil Jackson's assistant for three years with the Albany Patroons and the CBA, then was a head coach. Uh, was on the 1961 USA team uh, and Israel was the Maccabee games with Artie Heyman and Larry Brown and a bunch of other guys, but I was too young to know uh, whether to zig or to zag. <laughs> I've written 25 books, uh, just finished another novel, and I'm planning to write another novel. That's you know, my uh, I, I write on the bathroom mirror and lipstick. Please, someone, please stop me from writing another novel. But it hasn't worked. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that lipstick on the mirror doesn't uh, ever work, Charlie Rosen. So <laughs> no, I, it doesn't. I'm gonna get this out of the way. Probably, uh, I'm a. By the way, usually I, the line I use, Charlie, is that I'm the oldest man in the world. Because most of the people I interview on my show are younger than me. But you are actually a little older than me, so I'm really enjoying this uh, interviewing you. So I'll say to you what people say to me. Oh, man, Mr. Rosen. Although they don't call me Mr. Rosen. Man, I used to read you when I was a kid. Uh, so that's my uh, my shout-out to you. I've been reading Charlie Rosen books since the 70s. Uh, there's a book called Maverick. He probably doesn't want to talk about it, but I'll make him talk about it anyway. Yeah, why not? I right. talk about any of my books. Well, let's promote your latest book uh, so people can uh, buy it, read it, consume it, and all that good stuff, and then I'll start firing questions at you. Okay, it's called Truth, Lies, and Basketball. Truth is spelled T-R-O-U-T-H-E. Uh, from my lapse days as an academic and a Chaucerian scholar, and there's a little bit of Chaucer in the book, kind of peripherally, but it's really about 
all the lies and corruption that happened in college and in the NBA and everything depicted in the book actually happened, including a major college supplying heroin to a recruitable player who was addicted to it. So everything in the book is, is, is true. Now, Charlie, I'm going to How's throw, that grab you? That's pretty good. Uh, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't listen to the advice you wrote on your mirror with the lipstick, uh, and that you actually wrote the book. All right, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my theory. I've not read your book, this particular book, so I don't know uh, how you come down on this issue, uh, or if you do at all. But I'm gonna throw out my theory and get your response, and feel to, feel free to vigorously disagree with me if you want. I believe that college basketball is far more hypocritical and corrupt than pro game. Because at least the pro game, for all its hypocrisy, uh, pays its players. Whereas the college game exploits its players mercilessly and pretends as though it's pure. Your response, please. I agree. And and not only that, the college game is so inferior, I can't watch it. The worst NBA coach is a better coach than the best college coach. The worst NBA official is better than the best official who officiates college games. Um, I don't even watch the Final Four or, or the, uh, you know, the championship games. I couldn't tell you who won the last one. I just find that uh, college game sloppy, boring. Uh, teams don't, which shows how bad the coaches are. Teams don't know what to do against zone defenses. They do this, they do that, they do that. Somebody takes a three-point shot. Um, it's it's hard for me to watch college ball. It's hard for me to watch the current NBA game, but college ball, forget it. Now, uh, you've left me a lot to uh, follow up with, but why is it hard to watch? A, well, there, it's hard to watch a current NBA game because there is no, of course, in the in the pandemic, any NBA playing. But before right. the pandemic, why was it difficult for you to watch an NBA game? Well, it's the North defense. Um, you know, uh, everybody talks about how great Steph Curry is. Yes, yes, yes. I would like to have seen him play with Scotty Pippen's elbow in his chest. It would have been a whole different thing. Um, guys come down on the three-on-one fast break and shoot a three-pointer. You got seven footers who can shoot threes but don't know how to play the game. Nobody posts up. Big guys only score on putbacks or on lobs. Everybody runs the same offense: you know, pick and roll, drive and kick, or an iso. Uh, you know, it's boring. The players are not fundamentally sound. And the game has become a made-for-TV spectacle. And yet you watch it. No, I don't. Oh, okay. I was going to say. I mean, last season, yeah. you know, uh, the season that existed, I watched uh, maybe three or four games. Okay. Because you know that old joke that I, I first heard it from Woody Allen. 
Uh, it's about the the people dining out in the Concord, which is uh, one of the old uh, vaudeville places in the uh, in New York. Uh, and uh, the late one lady says the Catskills, the, the Catskills, yeah. yeah. One lady, good, good. The guy's from New York. He knows it's the Catskills. One lady says the other. The food here is terrible in such small portions. Um, so that's where I thought you were going with the uh, the NBA uh, bad, but you still watch it. Um, all right, I. Uh, you also uh, you sounded a little bit when you were uh, running through that riff a little bit like uh, a, a gentleman who's been in the news lately because of the Last Dance. We're getting uh, we'll get into uh, your connection to the Bulls, my beloved Chicago Bulls. Uh, that would be Jerry Krause. He was oh, near the end of his life. He he too complained about. Uh, I've heard interviews where he complained about the style of the game and the inferiority and the big men who don't know uh, how to you know work the paint that kind of thing. Uh, do you think that's just a sort of a trend of guys who've been watching the game for a long time can't keep up? Well, you know, I had a lot of connections with uh, Jerry Krause. When I was coaching and head coach of the CBA in Savannah, I was the middleman between Krause and Cliff Levingston's agent who was in Atlanta. So I go back and forth and back and forth, and this is what this guy said and that what that guy said, so I could uh, see all the devious stuff, which is, you know, you have to do as a general manager. Mm-hmm. Um and when I was the head coach in Rockford, Illinois, which is 70 miles from Chicago, and uh, we had the rights, the CBA rights to all players that the, uh, the, the Bulls signed or they drafted. So I spent a lot of time with uh, Chicago out in the Summer League in L.A. and spent a lot of time with uh, Kraus. And it was Jerry Krause that, uh, well, let's put it this way. Um, everybody makes fun of Jerry Krause, right? You know, Michael Pippen, Phil, everybody. So uh, when uh, Johnny Buck was uh, fired from the coaching staff of the Bulls, I was coaching in Rockford. And there was a big article in the Chicago Tribune that I was going to replace Johnny Buck. Now, Phil and I had this agreement, you know, hey, Phil, you know, I understand what happens. If you can hire me, fine. If you can't, fine. You're under no obligation to, uh, you know, to hire me. Whatever happens, happens. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. So uh, I got a call from Krause. And he says, well, we can't hire you because we have to hire an ex-NBA player because that's the only type of assistant coach that the uh, the players uh, respect. Yeah, okay, you know, whatever you say. So they hired Jimmy Rogers, who is not an NBA hmm. player, but is a great assistant coach and a great guy. I would say they profile on him. Wonderful guy. But I was pissed at Phil because he didn't have the balls to call me and tell me. He had this guy that was a laughingstock in certain circles call me and tell me some bullshit story. You know, and the story really was that Krauss wanted all the assistant coaches and the scouts 
to be beholden to him and not anybody else. And I was also, uh, you know, the ghost of Woodstock. He didn't want me. Uh, he didn't want me around. So I was so pissed off at Phil. We didn't speak to each other for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And we finally got together. At, we were both pallbearers at the funeral of Eddie Mast, who was Phil's um, teammate for two years with the Knicks, and for several years, the three of us were like the three Musketeers. We do big man camps together. I used to travel around with Eddie playing and pick up games. And there's Eddie lying in the coffin. And we looked at each other and said, hey, you know, enough of this. Um, and we've been, uh, you know, close since then. But Kraus, I mean, I remember one game. I was in Chicago. There was uh, first playoff game against Miami. And... Um, Kraus was high on uh, oh Brown. What was his first name? A guard. Uh, I can't think of his name. Okay. And Phil liked Kara uh, Paxson. I don't remember who was playing for them at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, Hardaway like went off. Had a great game. Uh, the Bulls won. Randy Brown. Randy Brown, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Brown. And Krause came over, you know, Krause is always pushing for Randy Brown. The problem is Randy Brown had no idea what the triangle was. He just couldn't function in the triangle. He just tried to push the ball to the basket uh, as far as he could go every time. It just destroyed the whole, uh, the, the whole offense. Mm-hmm. So Krause goes over to Phil and says, you know, Hardaway destroyed Curl Paxson, whichever one was on was on the team. Uh-huh. He destroyed him. And Phil says, well, there was not one play in the game where Curl Paxson was guarding Hardaway. So that's kind of uh, a measure of how Kraus didn't really see a ball game. He, he was pretty good as far as evaluating talent. Um, but I don't know how well he saw a ball game. And, you know, the whole um, Oakley for Cartwright trade. Yeah. There's a story behind that, too, if you want to hear that. Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. Our Phil's assistant in Albany, and we had dibs on all the Knicks players, you know, who were cut or whatever. So Phil and I went down to Hofstra where the Knicks were training. It was the first practice of training camp. And Ewing was their first-round draft pick. So it was his first scrimmage. And Cartwright was the holdover center. And Cartwright, and they scrimmaged and they played, and Cartwright beat the shit out of Ewing. Knocked him on his ass 10 times 15 times mm-hmm. and you could see Huey was like a little intimidating and Cartwright was like hey, you're not taking my job so easily <laughs> you know you're not yeah. at Georgetown anymore this is the NBA this is what you're going to get so we saw that and it's like whoa Cartwright's got some kind of thing with Ewing that's going to hang over. And it was Phil who instigated that trade to get caught because they, the Bulls knew they had to get through New York yeah. 
and through Yui to uh, you know to get into the finals. So that's why they got. Uh, that's how they got Cartwright. Uh, it was Phil's. Well, I give him credit for that. That was a pivotal uh, decision. Now, uh, by the Bulls and the oh, lot- one more thing about Cartwright. One yeah. more thing about Cartwright. You got to stop me. I go off on the tangent. So in the last dance, you, uh, Michael was quoted as saying that he told his teammates there was one guy he didn't want anybody to pass the ball to, right? I don't know if you remember that. The one guy was Cartwright. Yeah. Because Cartwright, he was good for the triangle because he could hold his space in the, in the low post. You know, he had a big ass. He could just, he was immovable down there. But he wasn't such a great passer. Yeah. So nobody was passing the ball, and Michael wouldn't pass the ball until Cartwright went up to Michael and said, and I'm kind of extrapolating exactly what he said, said, Michael, if you don't pass me the ball, I'm going to kick your ass. (laughs) And Michael started passing him the ball. (laughs) Well, that works. (laughs) All right, now, uh, Charlie, I want to go back to, before you went on the the two tangents, and I appreciate a two-tangent guy. I've been known to go on tangents myself. But you said that anecdote about Jerry Krause was very revealing. The anecdote about the game of Miami where uh, what he saw was he saw Timmy Hardaway light up Steve Kerr or John Paxson, uh, whichever right. player was covering him. And I, my takeaway from when I listened to you tell that story is not so much that uh, Jerry Krause didn't see the ball game, but Jerry Krause, and I knew him a little bit, saw what he wanted to see. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, he wanted Randy Brown in there. there. That's that what he wanted. That's what he wanted. Because that was his guy, and that was who, you know, uh, and he's, you know, he's, uh, he didn't always do the smart thing, like Tony Kukoc. So he sneaks around and looks at Tony Kukoc <laughs> and disguises, and, you know, this and that. And then he says, this guy, Kukoc, is the greatest. Yeah. We're going to win championships with him. And, you know, the first game that the Dream Team played Croatia, what they did to Kukos, yes. you know, with Pippen, and uh, they destroyed him. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that Michael left the Bulls, his father, yes, that was, you know, a, a major factor, the major factor. But it was also, okay, Kraus, you're going to win a, 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 a championship with Kukos? Screw you. Go ahead. Yeah, that was part of it, it too, and it's really unfair. And I'm going to say this about Jerry Krause. Uh, Jerry Krause was his own worst enemy. And Jerry Krause... Yes, absolutely. I agree with that a thousand percent. He said the dumbest things, the most inappropriate things. Uh, He had a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he, uh, He was just a social misfit when it came to dealing with other human beings. That said, he had no people skills. No people skills. Not, not, but nothing. That said, bar none, the best general manager in the history of Chicago sports, and I include all sports: baseball, basketball, hockey. Stop. People should stop thinking about Jerry Krause as the clumsy, uh, stumbling, in a, unable to communicate uh, your basic, just. 
just basic niceties and just view him for being a great general manager because you're right. The story you just told about Kukoc, he made enemies of Kukoc. He made Kukoc's life miserable with the two most important bulls. Right. And, you know, he takes credit for discovering Scottie Pippen, but it was one of the scouts, Billy Knight, could have been Billy Knight, one of the bull scouts, who discovered Pippen. Uh, and then Kraus saw him and said, yeah, 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 you're uh, right. Uh, let me say this And about he that. took credit. I, I, this is something that really – we're on a tangent with a tangent. We'll get back to – got to get back to Maverick. I cannot forget to get back to Maverick. But the, the reality is this. Jerry Kraus, whoever, quote-unquote, discovered Scottie Pippen, and it's not, he, you know, whoever saw was the first eyes on Scottie Pippen at a gym, to me is less significant than the fact that you got to give Jerry Krause credit. He tr- made a draft day trade to acquire Pippen. So when people want right. to bash Jerry Krause, they'll go, oh, Ben, you know, he didn't really no, want to no, take no, no, Horace. No, 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 I'm not bashing. I'm not bashing him. Yeah. But just to take credit for someone else is just, uh, uh, you know, he didn't have to do that. Like you said, it's his own worst enemy. He really did a great job. Uh, he did a great job. Uh, he didn't handle that last year. Uh, you know, but that was crazy what he did to say before the year. If Phil goes a- 82 and zero, which was last year, that's stupid. Absolutely. You don't say that. Uh, at the beginning of the year, you you know you, you just don't do it. Now, Charlie, what was it? This I don't understand. Maybe you can give me some insight in this one. What was it that about Phil Jackson that Jerry Krause got so envious? I mean, because really, you could Jerry Krause was the one who gave Phil Jackson his for his big break. Absolutely, and he liked uh, he liked Phil all along. Yeah. So what turned, Absolutely. What 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 was the turn? What turned it? Uh, I think he felt jealous. Phil, you know, I mean, it was it was hard to avoid Phil, Michael, and Scotty getting all the publicity, all the praise from the media, all the attention. You know, how could you avoid that? It's impossible to avoid that while the season's going on. You know, here it is. Well, they win a championship. You you really can't avoid it. And I just feel that he just wanted more credit. You know, uh, as his comment, uh, you know, organizations win championships and stuff like that. He didn't have to say that either. Should have just kept his mouth shut, do his job, which he did really well. And just let it happen and just keep his nose uh, at it the whole thing. He just couldn't keep his mouth shut. Yeah, and, and we'll, uh, we'll close this chapter by pointing out two things. Yeah, I, I took a note when you said this. You were talking about how college coaches don't get understand the game as well as uh, – I agree with you 100% on this one. And the love that the – Well, the, it's a different game. It's a different it's game. It's a different game, yeah. but uh, they uh, – you know, they – the whole thing is uh, recruiting. Yeah, but to go to your That's point, such they, a big they, part of it. They so. took uh, Krause on the Bulls, and, and again, I'm saying this is the guy I always give Krause credit. Uh, Krause on the Bulls took Phil Jackson, uh, threw him out of town, and replaced him with a college coach, a guy named Tim Floyd. So it just underscores right. your point how ridiculous and absurd the end of that uh, great dynasty was. 
Well, Jerry Tarkadian, um, Roy Rubin, you know, there are a lot of examples. You know, Dick Mata made made the jump. Uh, Bill Fitch made the jump. Um, but uh, when guys didn't make it, they were, they were really bad. Are you a big fan of Brad Stevens, the the guy and uh, the coach of the Celtics? I, you know, I'm not a big fan of anybody. I'm a big fan of Popovich. Um, I, I like the way they play. I like his attitude. Uh, it's a no-bullshit attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care who you are. You're going to play the way I want you to play. And I like the evolution of Pop. Years ago, he was very, very stubborn. This was his game plan. This is what he was going to stick to. Um, but he's become much more flexible. Flexible within his sphere of uh, game plans and his understanding. So I really like him. I've had you know, minor dealings with him. Um, I, mean, I remember him saying something about David Robinson. He said David Robinson is more interested in playing with his computer than playing basketball. I think David Robinson is uh, highly overrated. He didn't do anything until Duncan, uh, Duncan got there. I like Rick Carlisle. I coached against him in the CBA. Um, I'm kind of anxious to see how he gets along with Porzingis for a whole season. Because yeah. Porzingis turned into a joke, turned into an asshole, and uh, Carmelo Anthony had a lot to do with it. I like Steve Kerr. I like the way they play. He has adopted to the new game. You know, the made-for-TV game. He has really adopted to it. He's a wonderful guy. He's an honest guy. I like his politics. I, um, uh, Kenny Atkinson, I like. I coached against him in the CBA. He was a player. He's a tough, tough player. He's really good with young kids. I hope he gets the next job. Probably won't. They'll probably go to somebody, uh, you know, uh, more note- noteworthy, but, you know, more more famous. Um, well, the word is, so, is that they're, uh, they're going to hire Tom Thibodeau. That's the rumors. Thibodeau. Here. Well, I hope that works out. You know, Thibodeau's whole thing in the past has been he works his guys too hard. Yeah. And the, 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 the word around players was you play for Thibodeau, it'll cost you a year or two years off your career. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just want to say as long as... But he knows the game. He knows the game. He knows the... I just want to... Uh, to the... Popovich thing. I'm with you on Popovich. I love his politics. The, one thing I like about Pop, when he, when I first, uh, I don't know the guy. I've never met him. I'm just a fan. Watch the game. Read and I read a lot of articles. Uh, you know, he he was. I think he's the Air Force, and so he had the stern appearance. Uh, he was from the Air Force, uh, so you know, I had to feel like it, it's, I I apologize for making assumptions about people. But oh, he must be a conservative. One of my, you know, there's a few guys in the NBA. Usually, the white guys voted for Bush or voted for Reagan or what have you. I thought he, he put him in that camp. But I got to tell you, Charlie, he, he he's been unafraid to speak out against uh, Trump, right. and he does it in a very forceful. Just like right. concise. And so does Kerr. Yeah, Kerr too. So does, and, the, and the Air Force Academy has always been notorious for uh, political far-right conservatism. 
Yeah, but uh, going back to Curtis LeMay. Uh, and uh, so yeah. I give uh, Popovich a lot of credit. All right, you uh, mentioned uh, that Jerry Krause perhaps was reluctant uh, to hire you because he wanted to rid the Bulls of, and you, this is your word as a clever phrase, the ghost of Woodstock. And for some of my younger and listeners. And he wanted everybody to be responsible to him. Well, that was the main reason. You can forget the ghost of Woodstock. It was all about control. Right. Well, uh, that was part of it. You know, when Phil's book came out, when Maverick came out, mm-hmm. uh, and Phil was a coach, uh, the way I heard it, Kraus bought as many copies as he could and destroyed them <laughs> because there's an incident in it of uh, Phil taking acid and running around on a beach uh, uh, in L.A. roaring like a lion. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the book. <laughs> All right. So let's go back to Maverick. Let's. I'll set the scene, Charlie. Right. Uh, I'm a young, uh, freaky guy in the 70s smoking a lot of reefer. And uh, Maverick comes out. I want to say it came out. Don't quote me on this. Like 75, something like that. Yeah, and, something uh, like that. Something yeah, like by that. Playboy Press. Playboy, right here in Chicago. Well, you, you, Playboy. Yeah, you know, play, I hope you guys got a, a nice advance, by the way. And I'm like, why can't I we've love, got seventy five hundred dollars? That's it. You split it right up the middle. Yeah. So who did all the writing? Did you? So all right. Anyway, Maverick. Really? It's, it's out there. It's all about reefer and and the New York Knicks. It was a little too pro Nick. I'm a Bull, lifelong Bulls fan. I never bought into the whole Knicks mystique. Sorry, Charlie. But I still enjoyed it because it was a bunch of freaks and they were smoking reefer. Wait. So okay. So the way it works is Phil Jackson has the name, and you're the writer. You got <laughs> so you got paid for being able to write, and Phil gets paid for providing the name is that is that how it works doing a tape we did tapes the same thing with um uh, uh more than a game is that the name of that book where oh. he has a chapter i had a chapter yeah. he took you know did, did tapes and i wrote everything <laughs> well, that's not a bad gig for phil uh so uh and uh are you proud of maverick you know, I've had 25 books published, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of them I don't like, my second book, uh, Mile Above the Rim. The rest of them I like, but they're like children. You know, you spend nine months or so creating them, and then they go out into the world, and uh, whatever happens, happens. So, yeah, I like, I like all my books, except that one. What was the, the one that you don't like? Mile Above the Rim is the second it was a novel. It's about an NBA coach, about the NBA, something that I didn't know as much about as I think I know, as I think I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished the novel. Uh, about two years, I coached a women's team at, uh, at a D3 college, uh, SUNY Newports, and I'm thinking about starting uh, a novel about an NBA coach, which I haven't, uh, you know, I've done about everybody else in the NBA from scouts to, you know, this and that. And I do have my first line, which is, you, you say I'm allowed to say this. The first yeah. line is, fuck you, Phil Jackson. <laughs> yeah, you can. That's the first line of my next novel. Wait, are you sure you're not ghostwriting <laughs> this book for Jerry Krause? Uh, that's... <laughs> I really be ghostwriting. <laughs> Uh, if Jerry, if Jerry Krause could ever write it, uh, you low, you know, great, you ungrateful son of a beep. 
Uh, all right. Uh, um, so let's talk about Daryl Dawkins. And if we could, if you could yes. just, uh, since I'm a 70s guy and I'm just lodged in the 70s, everybody makes fun of me for that. Uh, Daryl Dawkins was one of my uh, favorite players from the 70s, came out of high school, right to the, uh, I think it was the ABA, correct me if I'm wrong, and then he made it to the 70s. No, you're wrong. Straight okay. to Philadelphia. Straight to Philadelphia. Uh, my apologies. Uh, so straight to the NBA. Okay, and I do want to say, now you're going to correct me if I'm wrong again, and remember, we're talking a long time ago. He was the center. I did a book with him. A 77 Sixers, right? Wasn't he the center of the team that played against Portland Trailblazers? Portland, yes. yes. Uh, you know I wrote a book with him, right? And I told to a book called Chocolate Thunder. Yeah, that's why I, I'm asking about him. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, All right. Introduce yeah, yeah, people to his legacy. Uh, some of my younger listeners may not oh, know. Oh, man. He was he was a monster. He came out, came out of high school. He was like... 6'10", 270, they thought he'd grow another four inches. And he never did. So he was a big kid. He was you know, a powerhouse. He loved to have a good time. He was a really good player. Um, but he just couldn't... He just couldn't get serious. You know, when he was Philadelphia, Billy Cunningham was, uh, at some point, was his coach. And they, Billy sat him down once. Uh, and said, Darrell, listen, you could be a great player in this league. You could be a Hall of Fame player. You've got to stop partying. You've got to sleep more. And uh, and go, because Darrell's going, yeah, coach, yeah, you're right, coach, you're right, coach. You know, you got to sleep late. you got to watch what you eat. you got to play hard in practice. you got to not be late. Yeah, you're right, coach, you're right, coach. And he's going through this whole thing. And he says, Darrell, you got it? You're listening to me? You believe me? And, and Darrell says, yeah, 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 coach, yeah, coach. Collins gets up to walk away. Darrell sticks out a leg and twerks him. <laughs> That's Darrell Dawkins. <laughs> he just kind of went his own way. Uh, and- That's it. But he was a wonderful guy. He's smart, friendly. Um, accessible, you know, talk to old ladies, talk to kids. Um, uh, I hung out with him uh, when he coached in the USBL, and he was a great coach. He used to scrimmage with them. Uh, I was at his, uh, his son's christening. I really spent a lot of time with him, and he's just such one of the best authentic guys. He was funny. He was had a great sense of humor, but um, it wasn't like, you know, he comes over with, with rehearsed lines. Everything was spontaneous and everything was new. And it was just a joy to spend, uh, to spend time with him. Um, and I had a great time doing the book. We had a great time. And I think I got his voice. Exactly right. Well, here's another, another. He's with the Nets, okay? Mm-hmm. The New Jersey Nets. And uh, Dave Wall was the coach. He was a real uh, buttoned-up coach, you know, a real serious coach. 
And uh, Pace Mannion was on that team, and I was coaching in Rockford, and I had the rights to Pace Mannion. Eventually, he played uh, with me in Rockland for about a year and a half. So I was there watching, you know, I'd talk at the Pace and blah, blah, blah. So uh, the team's doing stretching, and they're all on the floor. And Wall is walking around, and all of a sudden, Daryl says, Oh, 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 Master Joe, Master Joe, could you please sing me one of them Negro songs that y'all do so well? And then Buckin starts singing, Oh, Old Man River, and he starts singing that, and Wall freaks out, and everybody's laughing, the whole team is laughing. Wall walks over the door and says, Daryl! Get serious. And Dale says, uh, yes, sir, Master Dave. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way he was. He's just playful. Wall should have He's just absolutely playful. Uh, he And he hated Larry Brown. Larry Brown liked all the uh, ACC players that he had on the team. Uh-huh. And Dawkins had a nice little jump shot, but he was really his his game was a power game in the low post. And uh, Brown wouldn't put him in the low post. He played him on the high post, and uh, you know he would. Buck Williams was on that team. Who else was Jaminsky on that team? Maybe uh, you know all these ACC uh, teams. Yeah. Albert King, uh, he, those guys got all the touches. Those guys got all the time. And Dawkins was, you know, stuck out there. So, um, uh, you know, he wasn't very fond of uh, of Larry Brown. And then he really went, uh, you know, well, it's like, shit, if he's not going to play me the way I'm supposed to play, then I'm not going to play the way uh, I'm supposed to play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he broke that rim, you know, and in, in uh, Kansas City was it Kansas City? I don't, I don't remember. And all that down on him, and everybody's down on him. And meanwhile, when he came in to some other town, the GM offered him a thousand dollars to break the rim before the game. Yeah. And and they're practicing. Cunningham uh, um, uh, has him practicing on New Year's Day. And all the guys are pissed off. And they're kind of running around, you know, warming up. And they all start putting money on one of the benches. And the pile grows higher and higher in his 20s and his 50s. And it's higher and higher and higher. And they all look at Daryl. And so everybody knew exactly what was going on. And they were in some high school gym or something. So he went up. And broke the rim, took the money, no practice. <laughs> it was a twofer for him. He got the money and no yeah. practice. And no practice. Uh, all right, Charlie, uh, folks may remember your name uh, if from the last dance. You were in the, in the, the series uh, several times. Uh, what was your overall assessment of the last dance as, first of all, entertainment, and second of all, a documentary? It was it was uh, interesting. It was entertaining. Of course, there's a lot of things they left out. The most egregious thing they left out 
was the foul, hmm. uh, uh, you know, that the Knicks you know, called uh, uh, Hugh, Hugh Collins. Yes. How could they not have? How could they not have that in there? That is, that, I mean, that's crazy. That 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 was like the whole, the whole thing. They could have gone to the finals. I mean, easily with that foul. It's, I mean, it's nuts. And I mean, I said uh, uh, that that was the best job Phil ever did because he didn't have a go-to scorer. Scotty Pippen did a lot of things, but he was not a go-to scorer. Yeah. He, you know, he, he was an okay shooter. He takes three or four bad shots a game. He knew the triangle, so he gets shots off the triangle. Uh, but, but that was a great job, you know. And they also didn't include that Michael was didn't buy into the triangle until the first game that they lost in the championship series against LA when they win their first championship. Yeah. And one of the reasons was because, um, Johnny Bach would tell Michael, Hey, forget the triangle, man. You got to score. That's the only way we're going to win. So he'd score 50 points, he'd score 60 points, and they wouldn't win. And so finally, he got it. And then once once he got it, everybody else got it. Well, you know, certain guys never got it. But, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't have that in there that he resisted. Mm-hmm. You know, he resisted uh, the triangle for all those years. Uh, Charlie Rosen, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. Uh, Truth, Lies, and Basketball is his latest books, 25 books. Uh, I've, I urge everybody, when the library's open again, uh, go check out Maverick. And also, uh, your books on, um, oh my goodness, the Lakers of 71, 72, and you even wrote one about the work. Yeah, like I got a good team, the Lakers, and a bad team, uh, the Sixers. Uh, so a lot of right. Great, one of the best and the worst. One of the worst. And uh, I'm so old. That we'll end where we began. I'm so old. I saw both of those teams play. Uh, Charlie Rosen, <laughs> stay safe and sound. And thanks so much for coming on the show. And thank you. That's great, Charlie Rosen. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone.